Oh, I have got a good one for you this week. Uh, this week, we are going to dig into a topic that when it gets offered at churches, Bible study numbers double, if not triple, every single time. If you go to a church where there's in-home Bible study, small group ministry Bible study, and you invite your neighbor to this study that we're talking about this week, they might actually come. We're talking on the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. And, and since this book has been written, it is captivated and just straight up confused Christians since it, its inception. So we're going to dig into it this week and explain to you the truth on how this book is actually intended to be a book of peace, and actually a book of comfort for you. So a little bit of background here. We have John, this is the disciple of Jesus, who actually writes down the book of Revelation. And Jesus gives him this vision, this understanding to give to people of all time. John is on the island of Patmos, small little island, about 13 square miles, just off of modern-day uh, Turkey. And so John writes this to the believers on mainland Turkey to give them encouragement and to give you and me encouragement. Now, why has this book confused people so much? Well, to be honest, it's, it's kind of weird. There's a lot of weird visions and things that just don't make sense to our mind. There's some crazy things inside of this book. Like, for instance, there's things turning into blood. There's bowls of wrath that get poured out. And as each bowl gets poured out, more destruction ends up happening. There's a beast of the sea. There's the beast of the land. There's a dragon. Yes, there's a dragon in the book of Revelation. But again, this is supposed to be peace comforting. Why? How? Well, John tells us right here in the first uh, verses. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. Then verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written in it. Because the time is near. So John tells us these words are supposed to bless you. And how do you do that? There's one thing you got to remember. There's one truth. If you remember this, when you read the whole book of Revelation, it changes everything. Here's the truth. Jesus wins. That's what the whole book is about. You remember that and everything changes. So quick little story for you. I am a huge football fan, a massive fan. And when I watch my team play, I am... I'm one of those loud fans, like, I really scream in joy when my team does well. I'm crushed when we, when we mess things up. True story, my neighbor actually texted my wife one time when I was watching my team because they weren't doing well and asked, is, is everything okay over there? I really get into it. I've, I've scared my children on multiple occasions. It made my wife not happy with me. Like, I should go to a group or something. Well, I'm telling you this because every once in a while, I hear the, the score of my game before I get to watch it. I don't always watch it in time. And let me tell you, when I watch that game, when I know that my team wins, um, I still celebrate the joys. The, the victories are still incredible. Uh, the good plays are awesome. But I don't get that mad. I don't really get that hurt or upset when my team messes up because I know, in the end, well, we win. That, that right there is the truth you need to remember. Please remember that when you read the book of Revelation, in the end, Jesus wins. This baby, this, this book, it is a page turner. And so is your life. Your, your life is a page turner. And sometimes you turn the page in the next day and there's hardship. And sometimes you turn the next page and there's joy. But if you remember one truth in your life, like you remember the book of Revelation, that Jesus wins, it changes everything.
All right, so let's dig into Revelation now. We're going to get into chapters 1, 2, and 3. So John, as you know, he's on the island of Patmos. Jesus appears to him. And when Jesus appears to John, he, he falls over as if dead because Jesus is perfect. He's holy. He hates sin. John realizes he's like you and me. He's a sinful being. He falls over as if dead. But Jesus helps him up and, and says to him, peace be with you. Because remember, this book is all about peace. If, if you remember that truth, the truth that Jesus wins. So then Jesus gives over to John these specific things to write down to those seven churches across the water in modern-day uh, Turkey. And as he writes to each one of these churches, there's something very specific that Jesus has John write each and every time. Let me give you an example. So in chapter 2, uh, Jesus is writing through the, the pen of John to the church in Pergamum. And he says to the believers there, If you hold firm, fast in your faith, I will give to you a white rock with a new name on it. And so what this means is something we can't understand by ourselves. You have to know the history, the, the culture behind it. You see, Pergamum was the capital city in the area. And so that means that the government was there and all court cases were there. And they had jurors, kind of like how we have. And there was a way that they gave their vote. If the person they found to be guilty, they displayed a black rock, the juror. And if they thought the person was innocent, they displayed the white rock. And so Jesus says to those believers, you remain faithful to me, I'm going to declare you innocent. If you remain faithful to my love, my mercy, my forgiveness is yours. How peaceful that would have been to them. But I think my favorite personal thing that Jesus had written was to the church in Laodicea. You see, they were a wealthy city, but one thing they didn't have was a great water supply. So next to them was a city called Colossae, and they had a crisp, cold mountain runoff water. And then they also had a, another city, Hierapolis, near them, and they had medicinal hot baths. So you had cold water here, you had hot water here, but Laodicea had no fresh water supply. They shipped in their water from hot springs, and by the time it got to their city, it was this disgusting, lukewarm kind of hot water. And so Jesus says this to that city, very personal. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And the Greek there means to like just kind of violently spit out. Now, that seems kind of strange. Why would God say that he wishes they were hot or cold? We get the hot part, being on fire in your faith. We get that. But cold? Why would God want someone to be cold in their, in their connection with God? Well, if someone's cold, you know that they don't have faith. You know that that's someone I should pray for, someone I should witness to, someone I should reach out to, because you know where they're going away from God. But if someone's lukewarm, they're, they're about to lose their faith, and they can walk away from God, and people might not notice. So Jesus wrote this very specific thing that would have meant something to their hearts because of their water supply, because Jesus knows their needs. And God knows yours. He knows your needs. He knows what's going on in your heart and your life. And God doesn't want you to be like the Laodiceans. He doesn't want you to get complacent in your faith and just get so comfortable in life you forget about God. That's what they did. Wake up. Get on fire, Jesus is saying. And stoke up that flame of faith in God in your prayer life, in your worship life, 
in your devotion life, because God knows what you need. He knows what you need. And he's always, always there for you. Now, if you're hearing this, you go, man, if I'm reading chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Revelation, and I encourage you, do that this week. Read, read the first three chapters. In fact, do it today. Um, you'll go, I, I don't know that I ever would have gotten that out of the white rock or the lukewarm water. Let me give you a resource. So, this is a, a really great book. It comes from the People Bible series. Every book of the Bible is got a devotional aspect or a, a digging into it aspect. A small section of scripture and an explanation. I encourage you to Google it, check it out, uh, find the People's Bible Revelation book, and it can give you a lot of insight so that you can dig into Revelation and understand the one truth that God wants you to get. Jesus wins. He won your salvation. He loves you. He cares about you. He knows what's going on specifically in your life. And he's always, always there for you. So if you've ever read the book of Revelation, you have found out that the book really easily divides into, into two parts. So you got the first three chapters that are literal, where John writes to actual places in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, actual problems, actual encouragements, actual words to them, and they can read those actual letters. You can visit those churches today. And if you do, please consider taking them. I would love to see them. The rest of the book, chapters 4 through 22, is figurative. So John is seeing a vision of the end of time and actually Judgment Day, leading up to Judgment Day, Judgment Day. And John writes down what exactly he sees. There's a fancy word for this. It's called apocalyptic writing. You don't have to memorize that. You don't have to know how to spell it. It basically means that John describes you know, pictures that are there and they are picturesque of what's going to happen at the end of time. Let me just let John explain this by looking at his words for us here. We're in chapter 4, uh, verse 1. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take, take place after this. So I'm going to pause here for a second. There's debate on whether or not John actually physically went up into heaven or if he still stayed on Patmos and, and just visually saw it. Either way, God is showing him pictures. And it says then, verse 2, At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And then John, like I said, just describes it. So he, he looks up and he goes, There's a throne up there and there's a rainbow around us. He just writes down there's a rainbow and it looks and it looks like it's kind of emerald colored uh, coming out from it. It's emerald colored and he counts and there's 24 little thrones around there. So he writes down there's 24 little thrones and there's 24, it kind of looks like elders sitting on those and they're all wearing white and they've got crowns and so he literally just writes down everything that he sees and God sends vision after vision after vision over to John. He describes all these now, you'll notice in, in the Revelation that there are seven different scenes that are there. We already got the one. That is the seven letters, the seven churches. That's the first scene. And then 4 through 22 is the other six. That is that figurative language, that picturesque language. And so the first one is a scroll. And you'd guess that there's seven seals in the scroll. And only Jesus can break these seals. And as he breaks open a seal, another thing happens leading up to Judgment Day. And then there's seven trumpets. And as each trumpet sounds, something else happens leading up to Judgment Day. And then there's the vision of the seven visions. 
again, God loves uh, the number seven in uh, the book of Revelation. Then there's the seven bowls, and as the angels pour out the seven bowls, there's all these different wrath and different um, horrible things that happen on the earth. There's the vision of the Christ, the Antichrist, and the final vision, which is the destruction of Satan and the picture of heaven. There's all these different visions. Now, as you read this, and, and I encourage you, read chapters 4 through 22. It'll take you 20 minutes, maybe half an hour, depends on how fast that you read and, and soak into it. But as you do, you're not going to understand a lot of the pictures because they're not described for us. Every once in a while, John is told, this is what this vision means, and then he writes down that exact meaning. But most of the time, he just describes what he sees, puts it down into words, and we can have our best assumption on what it means, but a lot of it we don't know for sure. In fact, there's one time when the seven thunders speaks, where God says, John, don't write that down. Keep that part sealed up. No one can know that. And so you're going to read this, and there's going to be all these pictures, and it almost seems that they're conflicting, and they're running into each other, and it doesn't make a lot of sense. But remember that it's all around the aspect of the end of time, but from different angles. From God's perspective, perspective on earth, perspective from the devil. It's the same thing, but it looks different. Let me show you what I mean. So I've got this cylinder here. And if there's light projecting this way, it's going to show a perfect circle on the wall over my shoulder. And so you'd think, maybe I'm just holding a bottle cap or a, a little circular piece of paper. You wouldn't know for sure by looking at the wall that it's actually a cylinder. And then if light came from this direction, it would project on the side over there a, a rectangle. You wouldn't even notice that it's round at all. Same object, two different things that it's projecting. And then you might not have noticed there's a hole through this as well. And so now you can have three different um, pictures coming out of the one thing. And what's the one thing? It's a story of how Jesus wins. It's a story how Christ destroyed sin, death, and the devil. That God won you. He won your salvation. So as you read these chapters, don't try to add in guesses or interpretation. Just let the words sit there on this truth. Jesus wins. Always wins. And he won you. So we've made it to my favorite chapter in the book of Revelation. And I don't know if you've got a favorite chapter. I do. That might be really nerdy or weird. But I love this chapter. And the reason why is the beast of the sea is gone. And the beast of the land is gone. Read Revelation to find out who they are. The dragon, he's the devil. I'll let you give that one. He is gone. And so now John just spends almost this entire chapter celebrating the fact that Jesus wins. Telling us oh, this picturesque vision of what heaven is going to be like. It, be like. And it's, in, it's incredible. Let me just read a couple of words here from chapter 21 describing heaven. This is verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And John goes into more and more details. He looks up and he sees heaven. He says there's a, a street of gold running right down the center. I mean, that sounds pretty fantastic. Uh, there's 12 gates into the city. And it says the gates are, are always open. And the reason why is well, Jesus wins. Gates are there to, to shut out the bad and keep everyone safe on the inside. But since Jesus destroyed the power of sin, death, and the devil, the Bible says the gates of heaven are open. Always. Because death has been defeated. 
devil's been defeated. It also says that there is no night ever in heaven. And there's no sun, there's no moon, and there's no need for that. Because Jesus, the light of the world, the light that no darkness can overcome, will be our light and will be our joy. Let me tell you, heaven is joy on top of joy, wrapped in joy with a little bit more joy sprinkled on top of it. It's going to be incredible. Then John gets a little bit deeper, and he says that the layout of the city is 12,000 stadia by 12,000 stadia. Now, that's not a unit of measurement we really use. It's about 607 feet. So if you do the math on that, and don't check my math on this, but if you do the math on that, it's 12,000 times 607 is about, converting it to miles, about 1,379 miles. That's one direction. And then 1,379 miles in this direction. So just for fun, I figured out the area, the, the square footage area of miles of that, and it's 1.9 million miles. Now, remember, this is figurative. It doesn't necessarily mean that heaven's exactly 1.9 million miles, but it's huge. Just by point of reference, the largest city on the planet is New York, New Jersey, Connecticut metro area. That's 4,500 square miles. Heaven is described as 1.9 million square miles. It's colossal. All that joy in there. But then John says that it's 12,000 stadia this way, 12,000 stadia this way, and 12,000 stadia this way, and it's a perfect cube. Now put on your nerdy Bible hat that you know the Bible well, and do you know what that means, what, what the cool reference is here? It goes back to the most holy place in the temple of the Old Testament, where God's throne room on earth, where his presence with his people on the earth was, and that was in the shape of a perfect cube. Because when you and I get to heaven, we'll be in the presence of the Almighty. Last really cool thing that I love from chapter 21 is we also learn that the 12 gates into the city, we find out that there's three gates on each side. So no matter where you come from, the entrance is there for you. That means it doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor on this earth. It didn't matter if you've been a lifelong Christian or came to faith just at the end like the thief on the cross. It doesn't matter your ethnicity. It doesn't matter any of these things. What matters is that God loves you. That Jesus won a victory for you. And when you and I have faith in him, the gates to heaven are open for us. And heaven will be your home. I encourage you, read chapter 21 in God's word and you will have incredible peace that Jesus wins. So when I was writing this final devotion to be recorded, I'm sitting in my house and I'm working away of writing things up and I overhear my wife who says to our daughters, I'm going to go to the grocery store, I'm going to get some more groceries for you to make school lunches, but I want you while I'm gone to clean the living room. Make it look like no one has ever, ever lived here. Like magazine quality. Like someone from the magazine might be driving down the road, hear the joy of children cleaning and go, I got to take a picture of this. That is how clean you need to have it. And then Debbie said, um, I'm going to be back soon, get it done. And she left. What was the one thing, I mean, the one thing that my wife wanted the children to do? Obviously, clean the living room. Well, when Jesus ends the book of Revelation, chapter 22, he says one thing for us. There's one truth he wants us to remember. And since it's one of the final things he says, he means it. So Jesus said this. This is chapter 22, starting at verse 18. 
If anyone adds anything to them, I will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. God does not want us to add anything into the Bible. Not, not one little morsel. Not going, well, I think God really meant this. And if we do this, then God really will love us. And then really we'll be able to get into heaven. I mean, God is serious that he wants his word to be absolutely pure. And then, Jesus says, if anyone takes, takes words away from the scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life. Now, the book of Revelation tells us that the tree of life is in heaven. So God says, if you're looking in scripture here and you're saying, well, you know, this part here, we don't really need that part anymore. Um, you know, God didn't mean that. That's, that's out of date. We can skip this part. God says, you're putting yourself in danger that you will not be able to go to glory. If you go, well, this part over here, um, I, that doesn't mean my heart. That doesn't match me. I'm going to skip that. God says, you put yourself in danger. And so easily we can point at other people and go, man, look at those churches or look at those people, the sin that they're doing. But what about us? When, when you and I know what God's word says, when we know what we should do and we shouldn't do it, we go, God, I know, I know you say this, but, but God, I don't, I don't really care today. I'm going to do whatever I want. That is what you're doing to your Lord. Right in his face. You say, God, I, I, I'm so mad. I'm so angry. And I know you tell me I'm not supposed to do that. Or I, I, I love my girlfriend. I know I'm not married to her. Uh, but I'm going to go do this. I don't care what your word says. That is what we do. That's what we do before our Lord. Now, just, just so you know, this... This isn't the Bible. This is just a, a book that kind of looks like the Bible. I would never tear open scripture. I would never rip pages out. But I'm guessing when you're watching me do that, your, your heart stopped for a little bit. And you got almost probably angry and upset about it. Where is that anger? Where is that righteousness in our own lives when we see ourselves sin? Because in essence, that, that right there is what we are doing to God's word. We're tearing it out. God does not want you to subtract anything from his word, but to follow it. And if you failed, if you failed, then confess that sin to Jesus. Confess it to him and know this truth, that Jesus wins. He won you back from the devil. He won you back from sin. He won you back and you are his forever. That is the truth of Revelation. That is the victory celebration that God describes in this beautiful book of peace, if you remember that truth, that Jesus wins and he won for you. Hey everyone, Pastor Mike here with Time of Grace. Thank you so much for checking out our podcast and we'd love for this podcast to be a blessing to you in the days to come. So if you could share this podcast, subscribe so that every episode ends up in your feed, or just leave us a review. We would love more and more people to hear this message so that their lives can be surrounded and blessed by the grace of God. Thanks again and have a wonderful day.